all that. So um, with that being said, you guys have been sending in questions and experiences that you want some answers to, that you want some guidance with, and that you've um, maybe even walked through yourself. And so I'm really just going to kind of answer it, and then they're just going to kind of walk through it. And then once we kind of get through our main questions, um, hopefully, and my prayer is that you guys will feel bold enough and, and equipped enough to want to ask some questions yourself that maybe have come up through some of their answers um, and just pick their brains kind of, we like to keep it kind of around the realm of just church hurt, um, maybe questioning your faith. Um, deconstruction is a big term right now for us on social media and a lot of people on TikTok. And so I figured let's answer it head on. Let's attack it right where we need to. And so, um, gentlemen, ready? All right. Oh, I also have a water bill in here. Whoopsie. <laughs> so we're going to take it off. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the first question that, and some of these questions were kind of tied to a kind of like some people gave some same um, experiences and, and uh, same questions. So we try to condense them a little bit. Um, but our first question, I think, is a fun one um, because when I, so when I got hired, the uh, HR book I was given said we had to wear a suit every day um, and that tattoos were not allowed. Um, I went through the whole interview process blatantly with short sleeves on purpose. And uh, so when I was sitting in the HR office going, uh, I've already signed to work here, so like, does this negate this? Um, but it, so it, it falls on the topic of Christian liberty. And so the first question we have is, are arguments and differences on Christian liberty, such as drinking, smoking, cursing, language, how you dress, um, like the way we talk, uh, dancing even, all those that the Bible kind of talks about as Christian liberty, if we differ or argue over those, is that a reason that we should leave the church? Yeah. It, yeah, I'll, um, I, I'm one of those guys. Y'all have seen Moneyball? Everybody seen Moneyball? Remember where Chris Pratt's character, he's asked, you know, what's, what's the thing you fear the most? And he says, uh, the ball being hit in my general direction. He's the first baseman. So I'm just going to jump in and answer one that I know I can. I think I can answer a little bit. Uh, I, the answer to me is it depends. It depends on what it is. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, slight differences. If you've seen Pastor Aaron do the theological triage and talk about fundamentals of the, the faith, the things that this, you know, believe this, this means you're going to heaven, right? So the things that we believe about Jesus, whether he's just the son of God, born of a virgin, uh, lived a sinless life, died, you know, that kind of a thing. And then you've got some marginal things, and then you've got the things that are really Christian liberties. If I disagree with somebody's eschatology, it's not going to keep me from joining their church, probably, because I don't, you know, I don't absolutely feel like I have 100% grasp. I know what's going to happen when the world ends. But um, if, if um, I'd say something like alcohol, if, if, a, if a pastor's or church's stance differed from, from what I, I believe, uh, it, would, it would just depend on, on how, because you just have to be really careful. I think elders of the church, pastors are held to a higher standard. Um, and um, like our, our, our stance at any rocks and alcohol is that um, our, our pastors uh, do not drink. Um, it doesn't mean it's a sin. What? In fact, yeah, I know, yeah, I know exactly. <clears throat> yeah, party at Pastor Tom's when house. When did that happen? Not, not that it's, right, not that it's a, a sin issue. It, it, it's a preference issue, and it's for our pastors to hold a higher standard. Part of that is we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery here. And people deal with real problems like that. And for them to say, oh, well, my, my pastor drinks alcohol, you know, I, you know and we might cause, literally cause somebody to stumble and to, to get in. And so, but we have no expectation of that for the, the rest of the church. We have a preference, but we just say our pastors don't drink. And 
Um, you know, one, one of the things, Christian liberties, a few years ago, it became a thing with, with pastors like cussing, like oh. from the platform, right? We've, we've seen those guys do that, right? That bugs the crud out of me. See, I said crud. Whoa. <coughs> Baptist cursing. And, you know, because the New Testament's clear about coarse and filthy language coming out of your mouth. I'm not going to be in a, cur- a curse, a church where the, where the pastor's going to curse from the pulpit. That's kind of ridiculous. You know, I'm like, don't, doesn't the, don't do Doesn't that. the King James Version? Yeah. <laughs> there, there are some words in there. We'll Listen. get to them tonight. Okay, it's DJ's turn. <laughs> You know, when you, when you begin thinking about your liberty, and, and for me, growing up, I, I didn't grow up in church, so it was all brand new for me. I mean, my family was not church people. We didn't pray together. I went to church, and, and I thought all church people were little crazy people. And so when I got watching and I began learning some things and all the stuff I brought into the church, I learned something years ago in the book of James that says that we're all drawn away and enticed by our own lust. And so what would be maybe my problem may not be your problem. What would cause me to get into great trouble may not cause you to get into trouble. What may wreck my life may not even bother your life one bit. And so all of a sudden I begin looking at, you know, what can I do to get to heaven? I had a guy say, can I smoke cigarettes and go to heaven? I said, yeah, maybe sooner. You know, you just never know. (laughs) I just don't know. You want to be careful. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so what we look at in life is how does this affect those that are around me? Uh, if, if, if you're having an issue and you say, well, I can do this, but it doesn't bother this person. Or we can do this together and it doesn't hurt our testimony, our walk with God, uh, our, our fellowship with the Lord and with each other. I think that sometimes in our liberty without... Uh, making it too detailed, we have to be very careful and very aware of those that are around us. What make we find that uh, Abraham went into a place called Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and his, his nephew Lot never got out of there. That wrecked his life. What you may go into may not bother you a bit, but those who follow you may never get out. So I think it's very important for us to look at how will this affect these around me? I had a man tell me one day, he said, I took a lot of drugs when I was a kid. He said, it didn't hurt me at all. Messed my kids up, but I'm fine. And I thought, well, wait, wait a minute. And so what we have to look at in life is your liberty and how it affects your, your influence and impact for Christ, which is first and foremost. There's a lot of things that I can do, I don't do. And there are a lot of things, if I did, it would wreck my life. It would cause me great damage. So you have to be aware of where you're at in, in that liberty and always, can I honor the Lord doing this and will it honor the Lord not doing it? And you're always going to be safe on the safe side of making decisions. Good. Oh, no. no, you can go. Okay. We're um, here for I, I realize I'm going to sound like the missions guy a lot tonight. Um, Do we so need to put up pictures? Do we, we need just a map? should. Just we just should. <laughs> But I don't know, you know, so I've been here 31 years, and thank you. And in that time, um, like we've seen so many people come and go, you know, and, and I think part of it is because the last part of the question, I mean, obviously, if we're talking sin issues and that kind of stuff, I'm not talking about that, but, I mean, everybody up here on stage just has different thoughts, even, even you know, uh, we're all over the map sometimes. Um, and so when you're in a culture like this, 
what I found, and, and when I go into another country, it's always kind of just trying to understand somebody else and, and their walk. And like Pastor Jim was saying, I mean, to me, it's always going to come back to being a stumbling block. That's, that's the thing that I'm most concerned about. But I, I feel like it's a lot about grace, too, because people, people get upset easily, and, and they want to be right or whatever, and, and they leave because not everything lines up exactly with the way that they think. And so um, there's so much value to me, honestly, of having people that are faithful and that, that people who, because being a follower of Christ is difficult, and then trying to get along with each other, um, it's, that's difficult, you know. And, but as the body of Christ, like people from the outside are supposed to look and say, man, you guys are different. There's something different the way that you love each other. And so I would just say, I don't know, grace is such a big part of it. Um, and, and, and really just knowing that sometimes it's just thinking about others before yourself. I think that's, that's the big, big key of it. That's all I got to say tonight. <laughs> Out. Good. All right. Can I, can I add one quick thing? Because I should have been the worship guy, and I should have said, because it's talk, asking about leaving if it's a problem. Yeah. Um, if, if something that you see that bothers you enough that it affects and robs your worship of God, you should leave. You, you, you should not be at that church if, if it's that big of a deal. Satan's third temptation of Jesus was for Jesus to bow down and worship him. And I really believe, someday I will write this book, but I really believe that the Satan's real goal is not to like make you look at that girl or guy the wrong way or whatever. Satan's real goal is to steal God's worship. That's why he was kicked out of heaven, right? So, um, and and if, it, if it's making you, if it's, ma- it's robbing your worship, enough that is changing your, your focus away from Jesus, then I, I would leave. Now, there's a caveat to that. And, you know, um, if you, you picture a person that gets married and then divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced the third and the fourth time or whatever, at some point they need to look at themselves and say, it might be me, right? And if, if you're leaving church after church for something, at some point you've got to look and say, it might be me. Yeah. And I think as the high school and young adults pastor, I want to ask a specific question. Um, I'll be that guy, but what about uh, singing songs of specific churches? Would that so? Because like I think music is a liberty that we that we walk through, and you yeah. see it, it's naive to think that none of us don't see it on social media sure. and in the news of, you know, do we sing Bethel? Do we sing Hillsong? Do sure. we sing? So how does that fall in liberty? Yeah, and I I I think I I may have I may have talked about this last time I was here, but just in a different environment. Yeah, that y'all know what Mitch is asking. Uh, songs that are written uh, out of maybe a, a different faith practice that's really different from ours, in some cases really, really different from ours. Um, the ans- my, my answer to that is um, I'm, I look at, we look at every song very, very closely for lyric and biblical content. In fact, the first thing I do usually if I can when I get a new song is I, I turn off the sound and I just read the lyrics uh, because I don't want to be enticed by a great melody or a great hook or whatever. Um, and or a great voice and miss the lyrical content of the song. It's the number one thing. Does it align with Scripture? And it's really easy to tell. I, I will say when I know a song comes from a questionable, somewhat questionable source, and, and I'm just going to say this, like, like Bethel music is not the same thing as Bethel Church. Um, Bethel Church has some wackadoodle beliefs, and I'm talking about, like, wackadoodle, like, just nuts. But... <clears throat> There have been a lot of songs. If, if we start doing that to all of our songs, we're going to lose a lot of songs that are really important to us. I mean, 
like the, you know, if you've been in church long enough, you, you knew an old gospel song called Victory in Jesus, right? Well, Eugene Bartlett wrote a song called If Men Go to Hell, Who Cares? <laughs> I mean, so if we start, I mean, right, that, that, that was literally, so, and, 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 you know, there were all kinds of problems with a lot of different songwriters, a lot of different sources. If the song is good, it's okay. I, I can appreciate uh, a, a symphony by, you know, a composer who I know lived a terrible life, or I can appreciate an artwork, and I might know that they, you know, uh, Vincent Van Gogh, Van Gogh was nuts, right? He went crazy and did some crazy things, but like Starry Night's still a beautiful painting. Those are abstract, secular things, but it, the, the, the same thing holds true. Yeah. If it's true, it's true. The truth comes from God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If it's true, it's true, and it's okay. <clears throat> And again, if that association bothers you enough and that church is then, okay, th- yeah. that might be a problem for you. It might be a liberty that you can't, you can't deal with. But we, we do look at that. But to me, um, th- those are weak arguments. It's like, hey, we're going to boycott Publix or we're going to boycott Walmart. It's not going to hurt Publix or Walmart. And uh, in the reality, you're just costing yourself some convenience and, you know, some cheap, cheaper food. We, we don't. The, the money that a church or a ministry gets from us using one of their song is fractions of pennies, a fraction of a penny. And so uh, it's not an argument for that. We do boycott uh, Winn-Dixie, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. All right. You ready? <laughs> Before we start boycotting more stuff. Um, so number two, then, this was kind of, again, I think community is such a massive aspect for you guys, especially in your generation. And so a lot of experiences came around this question. How do we handle um, the click culture that can scare new people away from church? How do we handle, and I think Pastor Aaron does a very good job with the, calling it what it is, which is insider language, insider mantras and behaviors. So how do we, how do we help people overcome maybe the, the intimidation of just everyone almost already being you know, that's, that's a pretty common thing in every church, every family, every school, every business, because you find people that you like to hang out with, and you hang out with them. Um, now, one thing about our church is we're super friendly, but we do have cliques. We do. Um, but I was thinking about it. Today, you know, my family um, on my wife's side, it's really large. So on Christmas Eve, there'll be about 100 people together in a room Ooh. like this over in Tampa. And, I mean, awesome. And, and so, but they all sit in little yeah. family cliques. But they're not like so exclusive like, oh, you can't sit here. They're like, yeah, come sit down. So the thing that I would encourage people when they come into a group like this where there's kind of some cliques, uh, or at school and college or, or, you know, a new job, is to just not give up. You know, you got to try to meet somebody that you can, for lack of a better term, click with. You know, there, I mean, there's a lot of people here. And so, you know, I feel like you can't, get a, you can't find one person that you can hang. Sure we can. You just, just don't give up. I know it's tough going into a new environment, and we deal with it in our groups ministry all the time. Because it's hard for a new person to go into a, quote, Sunday school class where the people have known each other for 10 years. It's hard. So we try to create a culture where it's like, hey, remember those people. Be friendly to them because it is hard. But just, just don't give up. There's, there's a friend out there for you. I was, my daughter told me that when she came to school here, 
uh, and we came from another school, uh, she prayed and said, Lord, I need some friends. I don't know all these people. Mm-hmm. They look, they seem like they've known each other forever. And like her and uh, Dean's daughter, Chloe, are like best friends, you know, yeah. because she prayed and God brought and so just don't give up. There's friends out there. Yeah, I mean, again, I, for, I think about in Scripture where it says that the flesh within us, it wars against God. It's an enmity against God. So if you think about that, um, and it says God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So um, this is going to sound kind of complex and deep. But I think that there's, I think there is something within us. If God's desire is for us to love one another and to love the world, then I also think we have the flesh within us that wants to do the very opposite. So I think, to, and, it's, and there's always a tension that happens because we are supposed to be um, spending time around like-minded people, you know, and so we are supposed to be connected as the body of Christ. But what I think happens a lot of times is to go outside of our comfort zone and to be with people who are different from us, um, that takes effort. I mean, I think it's more godly to do that. I do. And that's why I love when we travel, mission trips, right? Um, For me, what it does is it pushes me because it, it puts me in places with people that are very different from me. And it allows you to kind of see a different culture and to learn and respect that. And so, I don't know, I think it's something we always, it is something definitely within the church culture because we do want to, everybody talks about the bubble that's here, you know, at Indian Rocks. And there's something beautiful about that. Like you can, you can be born here pretty much and you can be buried here on, on campus. Um, and, and to some degree we celebrate that, but at the same time too, man, we have to go out and be the church. And so um, I would say just fighting against um, it's so easy to be just with people that are exactly like you. But I don't think that's what God desires for us to do. I think we have to step out in faith and be uncomfortable a lot and uh, to, to be kind to people who are around you. And that even happens in here. So, You know, when I think about cliques, a couple things. Uh, for me, I, I'm an introvert, which no one really cares about. But, but I'm around people all the time. And I have to force myself to be friendly to people. I would be just fine on an island somewhere. (laughs) Absolutely great. But the Bible says, he that hath friends must show himself what? Friendly. And so in my life, I'm learning that that there are cliques. Now, a clique can be something that you use as an excuse to take hiatus and say, well, I'm not going to go to church. They didn't accept me. They didn't like me. They're in a clique. Well, if you ask Peter, James, and John about that, they were in a clique. They were closer to Christ than the other group. So there's a little clique there. But what we say is, how, how, do, I, how do I make a difference in people's lives? And, and if you're going to live long, you're going to find out that the world isn't always a friendly place. But that shouldn't have any impact on you. What you say is, you know, I'm going to make a difference allowing God to use me where I may or may not be accepted. I pastored in the state of Alabama for a while. It wasn't long, and somebody says, I like you for being a Yankee. I said, what? What? He said, yeah. He said, you're not a bad guy. I didn't know I liked Yankees. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And, and the guy said, well, you know, he's from Alabama. I said, well, I'm from Michigan. 
He said, yeah, you're a Yankee. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And uh, I didn't call him a hillbilly. <laughs> but uh, I, I was close. But, but what I'm saying is that if you live long enough, you're going to find that love conquers all things. And that's dependent on you. And I know a lot of young people that say, well, I'm not going to go to church because they don't accept me. Well, you're not coming to church for that reason. You're there to make a difference and to be poured into and to pour into others. So what I'm saying is that if you're looking for a reason to quit, man, I, I got a whole book for you. I, I can give you. I got all, I got all the T-shirts. But what you say is, uh, all right, how am I going to deal with this when you come in here and you feel odd because you don't know anybody? Listen, all of us have had that happen. There was a time, believe it or not, 50 years ago, I didn't even know Sandy Stevenson. She's been my wife now for nearly 50 years. But there was a time when I met her and I thought, man, she's very pretty. But she's got a boyfriend. How can I get rid of him? And, uh, and I wasn't in the clique. Like, she already had her clique. Just two. And so I became the third Will. And uh, he got nervous, and I said, bye. <laughs> and, uh, and so what I'm saying to you is you don't let, you don't let clicks run you off. There are always going to be clicks. There are going to be people you enjoy more than you enjoy other people. But that doesn't mean you have a right because someone seems to be odd or less attractive or less uh, influential that you then drive them away. You have responsibility to be Christ-like in your life. What we can do is we can always go back to when our ministry had name tags and did assigned seating. No? Okay. All right. I'm just making sure if you guys want to. That way you just have to sit with new people. Um, but I do think Gross. just to, uh, yeah. But backing off of what Jim said, I do think, and I know if you joined us at camp uh, like three years ago, the speaker got really weird with David and Jonathan and Kiss, but um, I'm just going to go towards friendship. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, that's a, that was, sorry, that was insider speak. That was a bad example. But um, it, I love the way that it's, a, it's a, literally the little caveat is David and Jonathan's friendship. And it says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knitted to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And I think that is the difference between our friendships as believers versus friendships that are in the world. And, and I think Jim hit it right on the head. Um, there's a lot of great dating advice in there as well. But uh, I think he hit on it in the head too. It's like, there's a different, there's a different um, play, like that brotherly love that we now get to show towards each other. And uh, sometimes it does take breaking some barriers to walk through. Um, it does take, I mean, there are a lot of you in this room that I think if I, if I remember before I had Jesus, I probably would not talk to one of you. Um, but Christ changed my heart. Christ, Christ showed me that each soul is worthy of love and each soul is worthy. I mean, he died for you. And, and if Christ was willing to come die for you, I think I'm willing to at least say hi and be friendly um, to start. And so, I, Yeah, I just follow what Jim said about it doesn't give us the right to like make somebody an outcast. G Jesus went after the outcast, guys. Yeah. And, and if you're going to be like Jesus, then it's okay to have close friends. That's wonderful. But find the person that looks like they're not being loved. That's, that's, that's what Jesus did. I mean, he, he went to the, the leper. He went to the Samaritan woman. He went, I mean, like people that literally, they wouldn't even fit, people wouldn't even physically touch them. Mm. And, and he went after them, and he loved them, and, and, and he knew things about them, and, and that, that proved his love. And it also showed him 
to be the son of God, and it can show us to be godly people when we do that. I had a guy years ago, he was, uh, I was golfing with me, he's an old man, he's a school teacher, and one day he said to me, hey Jim, I'm going to take off for a few months, I'm going to take a trip around the world. I said, a trip around the world, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, he said, you won't believe it. He said, when I was teaching in school, I had a high school kid that was just a pain in the rear end. He said, this kid caused more problems than anybody you ever saw. But he says, I started being nice to him. He said, I would have never figured this guy would become a multimillionaire. I said, selling drugs? He said, no, no, no. No, no. He, he said, selling cars, doing this and doing that. He said, he's sending my wife and I around the world full paid. So look for some crazy kid. You never know. You might get a trip around the world. Oh, man. You ready for question three? All right. So this one is cool because I think it leads into a nice section of questions that we have from you guys. Um, but how do we balance the desire to love Jesus and his church while dealing with hurt from leadership that has failed us? Well, let me just say real quick while, while when we're thinking about it, because you're going to, everybody in this room is going to get hurt by somebody. You're going to get hurt by a pastor. You're going to have somebody going to mess up and mess up. And if, you, if you're tied up to them too tight, you admire them, you respect them. Listen, I've been around a long time. I know you can't tell by looking at me, but, uh, but I have. You see, we can tell. We, I know. But if I were going to quit, I would have quit before I ever got in my 30s. If I were going to quit, I would have quit a long time ago. I remember how devastated I was when I first found out that there were things going on that a pastor was doing. Then I found out there was a church leader was doing some things. And sometimes they go to jail. Sometimes they look like they're getting away with it. But you're going to get hurt sooner or later. And, and as a pastor, I've been hurt by people in congregation. It's an amazing thing how, how bad people can treat each other. So what I'm saying to you is that you're, you're connected not to us, even though you are. But your walk has to be with Christ. And, and he's never let you down. Maybe I have an advantage because I didn't grow up in church. I got this Jesus thing right early in my life. I said, is this really a real person or is this some fantasy? When I got that right, everything else works well. You're going to get clobbered. You're going to get your heart broke. You're going to get your heart broke not only by church people, sometimes by your own mom and dad, brother, sister. Sometimes you're, you're going to face some of the greatest challenges you'll ever imagine in your life. And it is horrible. But don't quit. What you say is, I'm going to get my eyes back on the Lord and let God use me. And, and, and you're going to meet, if you live for the, world, for the Lord long enough, you're going you're gonna to face some bumps along the way. And hopefully you're not going to cause that in someone's life, but that's also a possibility. So you keep your eyes on the Lord, and I think you'll be, you'll be okay. You're going to face it, but you're going to be okay. There's a tiny little book in the New Testament called the Book of Jude. And so if you've dealt with some church hurt or failed leadership, I would encourage you to study that book. It's a tiny little book, 
but God included it in the New Testament because it talks about people that are, that are motivated by Satan that sneak into churches to destroy churches. So we can't be naive to, to not think that that still happens today. Because sometimes you'll be in a church and you're like, I, I thought I was at church and this person or that person is so wicked. Because the church can get destroyed from the inside a hundred times quicker than from the outside. People mess with us from the outside, we just get stronger. Churches fail when from within they start fighting. I inherited a church like that about 20 years ago. And at this church, there was some, there was some wicked people that had come into leadership. And I mean wicked. They were consistently lying, dividing, moving money, running people off. And I'd find these things out later. I still find out about it today. I'll meet somebody, they're like, yeah, I was there when you were there, and so-and-so, as soon as I walked in, they ran me off. And it's just, it's just crazy when you think about that. So like Pastor Jim said, you're going to run into some stuff, and, and you're going to be like, how could this happen in a church? Well, it happens because Satan does not like anything that's good going on here. And so the thing that I had to learn that all of us have had to learn is the first thing we have to do is we have to forgive. Because if you don't forgive that person that hurts you, as horrible as they are, you're going to be a slave to that pain and that person. Because every time they walk in the room, you're going to be like, that person did this. That doesn't mean you have to be buddies with them or enjoy seeing them or even stay and hang out with them at all. There's no obligation to stay around somebody that's toxic. Zero. But when we forgive them, then we can try to maybe confront the situation in a manner that doesn't wreck us, but that can bring some good resolution. I've had to confront people that were just wicked people. I remember one time standing on the stage, and I'm about to address the congregation the entire church, because of all the foolishness that was going on with these evil people. And I'm sitting on the stage like this, and I swear, it felt like my feet were in cement, physical. I mean, I was so, you know, the, the spiritual warfare going on, I'm like, I don't know if I could actually move my feet. How am I going to move my feet, you know, when it's coming time? It's like three minutes, the countdown, and the song's almost over, and but somehow, because I had forgiven them and because of the power of their spirit, I was able to get up and talk and not freak out and not say some of the things that kind of the flesh wanted to say. So it really starts with forgiveness when it comes to church hurt. And then once you do that, then you might have to go through the process and confront somebody if somebody has hurt you, if somebody's offended you needlessly, if somebody you found out that's somebody's doing something really bad, there's ways to confront people, Matthew 15 or Matthew 17. We're supposed to. But just start with forgiveness or you're going to be stuck. That unforgiveness, it's just, we're just, we're stuck. And so I would just encourage you to do that. If, you, if, you've, if you've got some baggage, you've gone through some church hurt, um, 
come talk to us afterwards or something because it's too much to try to unpack in front of everybody. And there, there's a lot of variables in there, and we can help walk you through it. But just, I would just encourage you, just start with forgiveness. I remember, um, so I, I told you I was teaching for about the first 15 years. About the last five years of that time, uh, we were, my wife and I were starting to lead student trips. And so my experience with it, I mean, just mountaintop stuff. You know, you'd go and, and you're serving with teams and, and you, you just bond together. And God does amazing things. And so I'm on this spiritual high, really, and ready to, you know, my wife and I were starting to pray about, man, we want to go into missions. We want to help missionaries. Uh, we want to spend our life doing this. And um, Pastor Jeff, uh, he'd been here for about a year and he's a pretty t tall dude, and he's, he's like, hey, I'd like to have lunch with you. I'm like, oh, man, I'm in trouble, you know. And, but the whole meeting was, was he wanted to, he said, we've been praying about somebody to be a missions pastor. And, and so we were having that conversation, and, and he said, I'd love for you to do it. But he says, I have one concern. And I'm like, oh, man, here it comes. But he's like, I, I just, I know at some point you're going to be disappointed. I'll never forget him saying that because he was talking about ministry. He said, when you start kind of seeing behind the scenes, you know, you're, you're going to see the humanity of, of people in ministry. And he's like, I, I, you just are really on fire and kind of naive right now, but I just don't want you to be so disappointed that you turn away. And um, I was, you know, when I was reading over these questions, I'm reading through Psalms right now, and this verse stuck out to me. It's Psalm 43.3, and it's David, and he says, Oh, send out your light and your truth, speaking to God. Let them lead me. Let them bring me into your holy hill into your tabernacles. Then will I go into the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yes, upon the heart will I praise you, O God my God. And just the, the first part of that in verse 3, oh, send out your light and truth. Because I think what happens a lot of times, man, if you put your faith, if you're, if you're doing this because you're hoping that Pastor Jeff comes through for you, or Pastor Aaron, or us on the stage, you are always going to be disappointed. Um, and I think that's with David. David just saying, God, send out your light and your truth. Because God is the only one who's going to be true light in your life. And is he, he's the only one that's going to be truth. And at, at the end, every, everything else will fail in your life at some point. But the Lord never will. And I find like that's where people get most disappointed. And just one last thing. I love David in Scripture. He's one of my favorite characters. You guys know who I'm talking about? He wrote this, the Psalms too. But um, I love David because he's just a really complex guy. So, um, you know, he fights a bear and kills a lion, all that kind of cool stuff. He's a warrior. He, he kills Goliath. Uh, but he's also a musician. He writes poetry. He dances before the Lord. Like, they describe David as a man after God's own heart. And so, and, and even to his dying day, God, God shows honor to David. But the one thing about David, too, Man, if you t took just a little season of his life with Bathsheba and Uriah and all that kind of stuff, I, all of us would say, man, David was a creep, like in that season, you know? And yet, so I, what I would say again is just grace. Um, so here is a guy that is a man after God's own heart that did some really, really awful things, and yet God forgives him. And, and so I would say, again, there's just something about the Lord time and time again, that he forgives and he gives grace. And um, we could take David and, and we could leave the church because of David. But look what God does. Like he, he allows David's writings to be in here 
and we're going to be ruling and reigning with, with King David. So, I don't know. Uh, when I, whenever I get disappointed, and I'm disappointed in myself, too, a lot of times, um, I'm like, man, I'm just so thankful that my tr- the, the true light and the, the truth is the Lord, and He never disappoints me. So, Yeah. Um, and I think, so, the follow-up question to this one, because I think you are spot on with seasons and moments of failure, um, that grace is heavy, but also I think there does come a point in time when um, to what extent do we fight back against toxic leadership? And so um, it was kind of one of the experiences that we were, we were given was um, someone tried stepping up. Someone tried um, following the Matthew 18. 18? Okay. 15, 17, 18. Well, sure. Yeah, it's somewhere in Matthew. Matthew. <laughs> it's all Matthew. Um, <laughs> they, tried, they tried following the, the, the church discipline and the church uh, kind of confrontational mm-hmm. guideline that we have. And um, what happened is, is in their experience, leadership stuck together with leadership. And so no matter how much they went up the ladder, it almost seemed like whatever that one person who's it to be blamed was always being coddled and kept, and they were almost being gaslighted in our, you know, terminology nowadays, gaslighted to be the problem. Um, and so how do we, how do we safeguard ourselves and, and not succumb to the fear that if we speak up, that's just going to always be the reality. And maybe this is a great time for us to share, like in, even in our own church, how do we as pastors, how are we held accountable? Um, how do we hold each other accountable? Um, I know a great system that most of us have is our wives. They hold us accountable, um, which is phenomenal. But just, yeah, I think because I think to a certain point, giving grace has to turn into taking action. And so how do you handle that? Yeah. Um, two or three things. Number one, I would make sure um, before you accuse a, a, a leader of something, you know, First Timothy is really specific about um, before you, it says before you entertain an accusation against an elder, uh, you, you only do so on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is because rumors start more about those in leadership than anywhere else. So I would just make, say, you know, before you do something like that or, or talk or gossip or whatever, that you're just really sure because Scripture is clear for that for a reason. But then, then there are the really real situations where you know somebody's doing and you and we've all seen the Catholic Church scandal where they protected all that kind of stuff. And we know that was wrong. I mean, it, it took the Boston Globe to break that story, which is tragic that it did, couldn't be done from with inside a church. But, but remember, um, first of all, everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. Paul, Paul said, I, I, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I, I should do. Um, every, everybody's human. But you, you can be sure, and you can, um, you, you can try to bring truth and light to, to situations, if, and you do it the right way, and you do it in the right spirit, and out of care, and not after gotcha or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, one, one of the things that I, I observe is, um, and, and I did this actually with Pastor Jeff and Martha before I came on staff here, um, but before I, before I get in, got involved with the church, or for me particularly being on staff at a church, I wanted to know how the staff treated their families. I, I wanted to see that. Uh, I interviewed at a church one time, and I was talking to the pastor on the phone. Was, this is a well-known church in the southeast, and, and I asked him about, tell, I said, just tell me about your wife. And the first thing he said was, well, some people say a wife is the best friend. I just don't uh, see how a wife can be a best friend. And I was like, I didn't tell him this, but at that point I was done. Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't have to say his wife's his best friend. That is not the same situation. 
But if he can't understand that, because that's absolutely true for me. My wife is my very best friend. Um, and, and I think it's probably true for some of us, too. And, and so if he can't understand how that can happen, I'm like, oh, then I'm wondering how you. And then he said some other things in the context of the conversation that made me think, I'm not real sure you treat your wife all that well. You know, just just I'm just I'm just not real sure. And how, how you treat your children and raise your children and, and watch, you know, and, you know, um, so there there are some really weird things. Be, be careful about making an accusation. Realize that that we're human and, and we, we sin too, and that the, the temptation that the, 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 the sort of the bounty on our on a pastor's head, especially a lead pastor. You know, I think about Pastor Aaron. Uh, Satan's going to place a little more emphasis on him and trying to bring him down because it's going to bring a whole lot more people down with him, right? Taking out the point person, and so realize that that they're they're that you need to pray for for your leaders, and Scripture says that too, right? Um, so pray, we're real. Be careful about making an accusation. But then, if if you're looking to model and you're looking to um, for your for your your the church you should be involved in, just take a gander how the staff treat their, their families. It, it, it can, it's, it's pretty enlightening. By the way, when I met and had dinner with Pastor Jeff and Martha, I loved what I observed, what, how she treated him, how she spoke to him, how he spoke to her, how they deferred to one another. I'm like, okay, we're cool. This is, this is really good. It was very encouraging, very encouraging. I think that was a, I had a similar experience when Pastor Tom was bringing me on board two years ago, February, for, for that. And he looked at Jess and was like, your husband's the pastor. Like, we are holding him to obligation, to a role. You're there as his best friend, as his spouse. You're there to come alongside of him. But we're not going to force you into anything. Like, you're not receiving a pay. Like, and he's, they were very, like, specific to say, like, we are here to protect you and your relationship. And so I really love that about when Pastor Tom brought us on board. But I think that is, I think that's wise. And I do think, I think to a certain point, if that is happening, I would say there is some ground to maybe it is a, a moment to step out, like you said, like to step out and to go elsewhere. I mean, if if you see that there's just this protective net of, of lies and wickedness, that is true, right? Um, or there's no really road for you to go further, you know, then maybe that is a that is a door that God is saying, hey, let's step, because um, it might not just be the season for that. So I, I think it is one of those times where you can't say there is a disconnect. Um, like you said, the moment he said, I'm not, like, I don't think a wife should be a best friend. I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty young in marriage, and I already know that's kind of wackadoodle, but, <laughs> you know, so. So here, here's what I say. Let's, let's use a specific example. So say you're going to a church, and pick your, your problem. You find out that one of the pastors is embezzling money. Hmm. You know, instead of spending it on ministry, he's you know, whatever, embezzling money. And so you confront him. It doesn't go so well. They circle the wagons. You find out they're all embezzling money. The, the, the church is just a cash cow for them, right? And so you've, you've gone through the proper channels. It hasn't worked. Now they're picking on you. Or maybe they're spreading rumors about you to get you out. So again, I would first forgive. Because if you don't forgive, you're going to go in there guns blazing. Forgive them. Second, try to go through the proper channels. Almost every church has a hierarchy and a way to deal with things. You know, you go up. You don't go start spreading rumors and stuff. You just go and try to go through the proper channels. But if it comes to a point where it's just flagrant sin that's accepted or, or just total disregard for the Scripture, 
and you've done your best, like Pastor Mitch said, it might be time to find a different church where you can trust people. Um, you don't have to be around toxic people and allow narcissists or bullies or immoral people to dominate your life. We're very fortunate that we live in a place where there's a lot of good churches around here. Uh, it might be a different answer if we're like on the mission field and there's not a whole lot of opportunities. Maybe start your own churches, right? Something like that. <laughs> but um, again, if you've experienced something like that or if you are, you know, talk to one of us later and, and we'll walk through it with you. Hopefully you're not. Hopefully that's something way in the past uh, yeah. that you're not dealing with now. It's okay to, it's okay to ask, by the way. And I'm actually surprised no one has asked this at, an, at one of our Next Steps lunch. If I'm joining a church, it's okay to ask, how is the senior pastor held accountable? Mm. It's okay to ask that. Yeah. That's a legitimate question. I'll tell you with Pastor Aaron, he's like, look, the church I'm coming from just on purpose made it easier to remove the senior pastor. He said, because we had the bylaws or something, it, it was too convoluted and they held. He said, we just, you know, they have a whatever, however they do it there. I don't know what they did. But it's okay to ask the question, how is the senior pastor held accountable? And, and because you, you, you kind of need to know that. It's an, it's an important thing um, because if, if they're not accountable, and there are, there are churches where the senior pastor literally is just is not accountable. Yeah. They are the, the, on paper, they're the CEO of the organization. Not the case here at all or in any Southern Baptist church. <laughs> but the CEO, the offering goes to their house and the money's counted there. You know what I'm saying? It's like th there are those situations. So it's okay to ask that question. How, how are the leaders held accountable? You know, if you, if you get involved with a pastor or a leader and, uh, and you have a personality and they have a different personality and you have, you're a hero in your story and they're a hero <laughs> in their story, that fight is just not ever going <clears> to <throat> go anywhere. But if you have a problem with a pastor or leader that is in sin, maybe there's a violation, maybe there's a, a sexual abuse, and you bring that to the pastor and to the leadership, and, and they, they circle the wagons, uh, that's not only a sin, that's a crime. Hmm. That's jail time. And so what you do is that, number one, you don't have to go to church there. Number two, you don't quit church, even though you're knocked out of, knocked down. But you go to the proper authorities, and uh, you give that to them, and let them take care of that and sort that out. The trouble is you just can't make up stuff. You want to make sure that what you're saying, when you start saying, uh, if I'm going to leave a church because somebody is just not my cup of tea, that's one thing. If I say this guy is uh, sexually abusing girls or boys or stealing money, that's a whole different thing. Uh, and, and like Brother Tom says, I had a man come in tell me one day, he says, I have something I want to confess to you. You can't tell anybody. I said, can't, can't say that. So he, he said, he told me what he had done. Uh, it was a sexual thing with a, a stepdaughter. He said, I want you to forgive me. He asked me to forgive him. I forgave him. And I dialed uh, the police, and they came in and arrested him right then. Mm. He said, I thought you forgave me. I said, I forgive you, but you're going to get to go to jail now. And, and it was not easy. Now, for those of you who have been abused like that, and, and you've been attacked because you stand against that, that's a horrible place to be. And, I would, and I'm not so naive to think that that hasn't happened in a crowd like this to somebody. 
And so you have to handle that properly, uh, with wisdom, with integrity, but that kind of stuff can't continue. And so uh, if it's just something else, hey, this guy yells all the time, and he's a wind-sucking preacher. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about, okay? Uh, so, so you want to protect yourself and protect those that are around you. And, but, but let me encourage you again. Uh, keep your eyes on the Lord even when you're fighting those battles. I love, there's always a path forward, and sometimes it's out the front door. Right? I think that's a healthy thing to say. Um, but I love that you're saying, you know, have the facts. Don't assume. Um, you have to have the facts. You have to make sure you're clear about things. You can't, but you just don't leave and let some criminal continue mm-hmm. going on. Don't let that happen. Very big. Um, this one, I actually just want to add a caveat into it because it's a little bit different than some of the church hurt stuff. It's more about um, specifically a, a, about faith and, and uh, our walk with God, but... Um, I just I saw this question and it just it brought me it brought me joy because I knew about the person who was going to be up here on stage and a couple of them all of us have walked through it but I think they're still in the season and um, Pastor DJ and Tracy I mean they have been champions this past year and and just walking through what happened with their son Brooks um, and I'm sure he'll probably be talking about that in his answer if he does but um, there's a cool thing and kind of a dumb thing that I've seen lately is is we again we idolize people and pastors and we think like their lives are perfect and we think that they're on this pedestal, that they're untouchable. And you hear some of these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, and they're like, you shall not lay a finger on God's anointed. I think all of us sitting on the stage as pastors can tell you that Satan has laid plenty of fingers on, on all of us and, and damaged us and hurt us. And, uh, but we can sit up here and tell you, you know, God is faithful. And so this question, which I think is a resounding theme for a lot of us and where we end up struggling in our faith in this season, is uh, how do we balance suffering and the goodness of God? How do we balance suffering in this life and God's goodness? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I, think, uh, I've, I think I led worship in here at least one time since my, my son's accident, but it always seemed like, the, in fact, it was September 1st, 2022, I think, uh, that I was supposed to lead worship in here, and that's when my son was in the motorcycle accident. And um, on this next Thursday, it'll be surgery number 12, I think. Uh, to put a rod in the in his leg, so, but it's man, it's been as I've shared with you guys, like it's been for us like some of the darkest times of our life too, and and at the same time, um, I feel like we've grown the depth of of trusting in the Lord, and so when I go back to that, you know, light and hope, my only light and hope can come from the Lord because so many things can change instantly. But um, I think about this verse, and it was Paul uh, in Philippians three. And Paul's desire was to know God. And, and if you're here, I would say that that's probably maybe a, a deeper desire for you to really know God. And, and so um, in, in Philippians 3, uh, verse 10 says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And that first part I love. Like we, you know, power over death. Um, we have the faith of Christ within us. We uh, we know that we're going to have our resurrected bodies. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. Like that, the power of that, um, man, everybody loves that part. But Paul was saying, like, if you really want to know the Lord, it's not just experiencing the power of his resurrection. 
Uh, but the, the other part of that verse is in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable into his death. And so I don't know, man, when I was your age and even before this year, it's not like we want to go through hardship. You know, I mean, I don't seek hardship. I don't pray, Lord, send me something so that I can suffer. But um, but I don't know. I, I think Paul understood that if you really, truly are going to know the Lord and and have that depth with him, you have to experience the power of his resurrection, but it can't be without the fellowship of his suffering. And so, I don't know. I What it's done for me, honestly, is just because I think I think the younger I at my younger age, it was all about what I have to do to try to keep things under control. And you guys are probably in that stage. You're like thinking about your life and all the plans you have to make. And that to me, that causes me sometimes anxiety, like trying to keep everything all together. Because when you have moments like this with my son, like you realize, man, in your best efforts, you can't stop all those things happening. Mm. And so I really feel like we're in a season, and Trace, you can probably agree with me, um, of surrendering. And I think I've told this story, and I'll be really quick. But um, I remember being on a mission trip, because I have to say some of my <laughs> missions every day. And, um, <laughs> no, but we were students, and, and I don't know how old I was. I was in my 30s probably. And the last night when the missionaries stood up, and we sang as a student group, I Surrender All. And then afterwards, you know, the missionary stood up, and he's like, all right, y'all just sang that. Um, and he started going down the line to our, our students. He's like, you just sang that. Do you believe it? You know, and some of the students are like, yeah. You know, and then they, <laughs> they come down. to. There was like one kid who's who like, no, not really. You know, and then they got to me. And I'm the leader, so I'm like, yeah, you know. But then, I, but then that night, man, I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about it. And I was talking to Trace. I'm like, I, I say that, but, I, but I, there's so many things. I've surrendered my life to Christ, but there's so many things that I have struggled with really trying to just release to him. It's his anyway. It's silly because mm-hmm. it is his. But I would say, so at my age now, 92, um, <laughs> I honestly think that this is probably the first time that I really am learning to surrender and it really is just because sometimes you just feel beat up so much that finally you're just like, you let it go. But I can tell you guys, if you can do it early in your life and without some of that, that grief, um, I don't know, embrace the suffering. Um, because I think it's in those moments that you, and it really what it does is that some of that anxiety that you feel tonight, because I know that that's a big thing for all of us, I guarantee you it's connected with control. Like, and man, what if this happens? Or what if, you know, some of your worst nightmares happen? The great thing is that God walks you through it and and you can walk through it. And when you start overcoming some of those things, um, then the power of that, it, it doesn't, Satan doesn't have that power over you anymore. So I don't know. I'm still learning. It's not like I've, you know, succeeded and it's not like I'm going to keep praying for suffering. But I'm less afraid of it, I guess, is what I could say, because God's been good through it. And I don't think I would be where I am spiritually today if we hadn't experienced it. But it's it's tough. I don't like it. That's all I got to say about that. I just I'll be really quick. I just want to recommend a book to you. So if you want to write something down, it is the book is not Harold Kushner's Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People. That's a terrible book. Don't read that book. (laughs) Um, no, uh, Lee, Lee Strobel, if you know that name, is a, a Christian apologist. He's a former atheist. 
but he wrote uh, really his, his, one of his first books, not his first book, but his, one of his first books called The Case for Faith. He has a lot of books, The Case for Something, so don't be confused. <laughs> and and case, there are better books than the other ones. But The Case for Faith uh, takes seven. Uh, he, he basically he tells a story of a, a particular man, but he takes intellectual objections to Christianity. In other words, people in, in your life who have an attraction to the concept of Jesus. They like Jesus' love and Jesus' forgiveness, but they have intellectual objections to the Christian faith, and one of them is why do bad things happen to good people? Why can a loving God allow people to suffer? Another, another one has to do with hell. Um, there are all kinds of questions. One of them is uh, doesn't um, um, you know, Darwinism explain, explain away the need for Christianity? He takes on these arguments, and he interviews experts. It's a great book, and the very first chapter, I think, is about um, dealing with how can a loving God allow suffering in the world, and it is a great, great answer. I, 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 did, a, I did a sermon on this a few, couple of years ago, and I, I talked about that, that specific thing, and I took Lou Strubel's argument, and it's excellent. I don't have time because it's, it's a really logical procession through it, but Lee Strubel, The Case for Faith, is a great book. It's also a great apologetic tool for you, uh, dealing, if, especially if you're in a secular university or you're in a secular workplace, you ought to know these because these, the, these are the intellectual objections, especially American Christians have. They like the idea of Christ. They like the idea. It's like, you know, Gandhi said, uh, I like your Christ, not so much your Christians. And so people like the concept of Christ, but not Christianity. And this, that book will help you a little bit. I know there's different levels of suffering, and some of us have been through really deep suffering. Some of you have been through really deep suffering, and you have serious scars, and that's a great resource, Dean. It really is. Um, I know one of the things that is going to be common in suffering is we'll get advice, and we'll hang out with friends, and we'll cry, and we'll vent and we'll pray, and the pain is still there. And one of the things that I do that doesn't help me is I get fixated on why is this happening to me. And this is just me. Maybe you're different. But for me, I just, because I'm, you know, I'm kind of like a planner and a fixer, and I got to figure things out and put puzzles together. I'm like, why is this happening? Why, why can't this happen to somebody else? Why did it have to happen to me? Why did I have to pull out in the street at that particular moment when I get T-boned by somebody putting on makeup and running a stoplight, and I have to get cut out of the car, which is a real thing. Why did that have to happen to me? If I would have been five seconds earlier or five seconds later, it wouldn't have happened. So why? And so it, for me, it doesn't help. And I'm still going to ask, but at some point I have to quit asking and then just you know, try to go through it and ask God to heal and to help. Um, but that's just, just something for me, just, yeah. just fix, fixated on why. And sometimes there's not answers, and there may never be an answer. And maybe when we get to heaven, we can get the answer. We might not care anymore once we get there <laughs> about what was going on on the earth, but um, sometimes there's just not an answer and we just, we just go through it and ask God to heal us through the pain. I think, it, I think listening to you guys, a big thing is uh, suffering and sovereignty have to go together. Right? I mean, we can't, God has a plan and a purpose for all of it. 
And so even in the midst of pain and, and brokenness, we go to Josh, right? What, what Satan meant for evil, the Lord's going to use for good. Um, that permissiveness of the Lord, um, like Pastor Tom said, like we might not never know this side of heaven, and then by the time we get to heaven, it ain't going to be that big of a worry. Um, but most of you know my testimony. I, I got saved, and then a year later, I got hit by a drunk driver, right? And I was on track to go to college for track and soccer, and I was going to pull the whole Tim Tebow thing and just put John 3.16 under my eyes and call it a day and say, I'm going to live for the Lord. Um, and then a year later, God said, I have completely different plans. And he took away my athletic ability and put a rod in my leg, and I couldn't walk for a year and a half. And um, he humbled me very quickly. And, and still even now at, at, man, 31 next month, getting old. Um, you know, I feel it. And and it's it's this crazy thing. It's this daily reminder that, that we are but people, and he's God. I think that's kind of what we have to balance to. So I think that's amazing. Did anyone else kind of suffer? I'm, suffering in God's goodness is such a vast topic that I think we could try to give an answer for decades. But is there any final nugget of wisdom or thought before we move on to one more question, and then we'll turn it over? Well, oh. suffering sucks. That's all yeah. I'll just say. You know, it sucks. Yeah. But it's just part of the human experience. Yeah. Job was having trouble with his family, lost his money, lost his family. I can't even imagine what it would be like to, to lose my kids. Hmm. And the poor guy doesn't even know what's going on. He doesn't even know that he is on stage for God's glory. Now, I, I wouldn't want to be that guy. But sometimes in life we don't realize that God uses us for his glory in a, such a way that it's beyond our comprehension for heavenly beings and earthly beings. And so when I can't figure it out, I just have to say, Lord, I don't, I don't like any of this at all, but I'm going to trust you in this. And I've been through a lot of life that I didn't like any of it, not one moment. But... Job's wife said, why don't you just curse God and call it a day? He said, no, I'm not going to do this with my lips. So what I'm saying to you is that you don't have to know why. You don't have to like it. But somehow in it, you have to believe that there is a God who is still a loving God. And, uh, and, I, and I've, I've asked God a few times, I, I don't get this. This doesn't sound like much love to me, you know. Like when you hear when you're a kid, you all have missed this wonderful time in life where your parents would discipline you. And then they would normally add it. Uh, this hurts me worse than you. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking to with this. That's not true. So what we find in life is that um, God is doing something for his glory, even in our sadness. And, and because of it, uh, someone else's life may, may be blessed. And if it doesn't, then we'll still trust the Lord. My, my favorite part about the Job story is that when Job finally asks God why, God doesn't give him the answer. He, he basically says, who, who are you? That's what he says. But in answering, if you look and you read, what he answered him with was his presence. Mm. Job had the presence of God. And that's often the only answer that we might get is that God is there with us. And sometimes he's teaching us, like DJ said, I'm enough. 
you don't have to know the answer. You don't have to know the why the thing happened, but I'm, I'm here. I'm speaking to you as a proof of that. Like Dean is saying, Job all of a sudden did something at the end of the book. The Bible says, and Job prayed for his friends. What? These lousy buddies that were on his <laughs> neck every second that said, you must be wicked, you must be a bad guy, you must be a real crumb. Job got his eyes off himself, started praying for them, and everything turned around for Job. Now, good luck with that. But, but I'm glad Job did that, and I'm glad that's in the Bible. I think Lamentations is also a good book to read. All about the prophet Jeremiah just going at the Lord. In the, in the best way, as like a heavenly father, he was crying out to God, and yet if we read in that book, you know, his mercies are new every morning. And yet Job was able to go, to, or Job... Jeremiah was able to go to God and just lament. It's the name of the book. Like he, it teaches us that you can go to God with your emotions and be real. He's not this, this white ivory tower where you have to be prim and proper. Like We have to be respectful to God. He's still God. But he wants you weeping. He wants you rejoicing. He wants you sorrowful. He wants you in every way possible so he can be with you. Um, and so I think the last one I want to kind of hit um, before we turn it over to you guys and see if you have any questions for these awesome gentlemen um, is, is mental health in the church. Um, and just kind of, that one really, there wasn't many questions given into that. It was more so a lot more statements of just experiences of people dealing with mental health and then the church really not stepping up to the plate. So what are our views of mental, like mental health in the church? How do we go there? I know it's a very broad thing again, but I think it's, if we narrow it, we might miss a group, so we'll keep it broad. So mental health in the church, you know? I mean, there's, um, it, that is a broad question. Yeah. Um, sometimes the issues that people have are, can be handled within groups, within friends, within prayer, mm -hmm. things like that. Sometimes we have some mental issues that might need some professional help, and there's biblical counselors out there that can, you know, peel back the layers of what's causing somebody some mental issues. And they're appropriate uh, as long as they don't contradict God's word. Yeah. Um, I've experienced counselors that, you know, get way far away from biblical principles and they're against biblical principles. And then it does harm. Uh, there's some counselors out there that just want to write scripts, write scripts instead of trying to help somebody because sometimes we have, you know, stuff going on that needs some professional help. And so uh, Mitch did a great job for us when we asked to uh, give us a, a, a huge resource of local biblical counselors that know how to deal with all different kinds of issues that people go through. And the thing that these counselors have in common is that they approach people from a godly biblical perspective. And uh, so there's times when we, when we need some professional help um and it's different it's case by case yeah but um so that's a super broad question but yeah. again if, if you know we've all got the resources that mitch put together for us if people feel like they need somebody to talk with it's available uh, one of the underlying questions uh, that resulted in that question was that they were told by a leader at one point that all mental health conditions somehow were demon possession or something mm, like that yep. listen First of all, run from the person that said that to you. Second of all, if you're a believer, you can't be demon-possessed. Amen. 
Holy Spirit and, and, and something satanic can't live inside you at the same time. It's not possible. There's a problem with that. Um, and second of all, that's a really weak, easy answer for somebody to give you, you know. Um, and um, th- that's like saying your child is sick because you don't have faith or something like that. I mean, come on, these are, these, these are charlatan kind of leaders. Um, it is. The depression is a real thing. Anxiety is a real thing. All, all those, those, those are real problems. And, and while um, some of them can be, some of it sometimes can be resolved with healthy lifestyles and prayer and church and friends and all that, Sometimes you got to go talk to somebody. I just make sure that the person I go talk to, like Tom and Mitch were just saying, is, is a believer. Because listen, if I go in for marriage counseling and the subject that I need marriage counseling for is that my wife's really bugging me right now, and the non-Christian counselor, the secular counselor, well, you just need to leave her. I don't want to, that's not where you need to go, right? You know, uh, and I'm not talking about a serious, if there was some kind of abuse or something, but, I, but I'm saying, like, go to someone who is scripturally based and understands and can help you and can pray with you. The counselors we recommend will pray with you. It, it's real, and, like, like, you come talk to us, and if it's a thing, we're going to send you to a counselor. We'll help you. We'll pray with you, but we're not. None of us are professional counselors, although DJ's taking a class, right? We've all, had, we've all had some exposure to Christian counseling stuff, but we're not licensed counselors. So get, get the help that you need, and there's no shame in it. For a little while, uh, we, we, because when COVID happened, we had to stop sort of doing this. But all of the pastors' families, we were all required to have marriage counseling with a professional counselor. Part of the reason was because we don't want to lose our marriages, and it kind of disqualifies you from ministry if you do. But secondly, we wanted to take the stigma out of counseling. You know, if we're doing it, it's okay. And it is okay. So if you need some help, get some help. Just do it from a believer. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, this, this for me is, I, I've thought about this for a while with the church. And I, when I, I'm not talking about Indian Rocks necessarily, just the church in general. I do feel like this is an area. So we do a great job of, of talking and, and speaking about spiritual truth, God's word. But I do think that, there's other, there's two, you know, God's created us as spiritual, mental, and physical beings, and they're all connected. And I think sometimes where there's a struggle within the church that I've seen is we're, we're great with teaching spiritual things, but we're not great with teaching physical things, physical health, and we're not great sometimes with addressing kind of the mental aspect too. And so I, I, it is something I feel like we need to do a better job of just as the body of Christ. I think what Satan loves to do, too, is he isolates. And so mm. he makes you think, like, if he can make you think like you're the only one who's going through this situation, um, and then just being quiet and not being able to share with other people, that's, to me, where it's the most dangerous. But, um, you know, and it's, this is just a simple thing, and I'm not saying, like, you just do this and all your problems will go away. But I think it's connected to the last one. We were talking about the goodness of God. Um, man, in all of our situations, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And I think you see so many things tied in to anxiety and not being thankful. And so I think that's just another thing, too, of, of man, being grateful and being thankful and that's a daily practice, you know, even in your worst situation. Like I said, this has been a really tough year, but it's so weird how, like, we've, we've learned this heart. It sounds really stupid, but just when the weather is cold, I'm like, I'm just grateful that it's cold and there's not 
something traumatic <laughs> going on right now, you know, or or coffee or whatever it is, you know, little things that um, that just have a grateful heart. So I do think that that having that as well, just that spirit is is really important. But you guys have each other and that's that's a part of it, too, um, of talking things out, you know, and and making sure that you're godly, uh, giving good godly counsel to each other. Real quick, when you have issues, you get depressed, you get sad, you get happy, you get glad, you get guilt-ridden. That's not so much mental problems. That's just emotional deal, and we face that. It, sometimes we're dealing with real emotion or real mental problems, and I have people, I had a guy one time, he said, I hear voices, and I always ask them, what do they say? Because I want to know if it says, kill the pastor. I, 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 I want to know that right, right away. <laughs> But what I found is this. Believe it or not, sometimes your mental problem or a friend's mental problem is a, is a body problem. The first place you ought to go when you have mental problems is to a body man. Find out if your body is operating properly. You may have glands that are out of whack. You, you, you may have all kinds of physical problems that causes you to act absolutely naturally crazy because that's what your body is doing and making. So getting a good body man is very helpful. So I would encourage to look at that. And, and, and the world looks at us. The world thinks we're all nuts. So don't, don't get worried about it. Well, you're all crazy. Look what you believe. You can't even defend that. Uh, we can, and we're not crazy. But what, what I want you to do is if you're dealing with somebody and they really are, are like, you know, cuckoo, then don't just help them. Try to get them some help. Don't just say, hey, listen, I'm not going to go. I'm going to leave that guy by himself. He's crazy. Well, maybe not. Maybe he just has some problems, physical problems. And if they're dangerous, then don't let that slide. I mean, listen, you can't let those things just go on until somebody gets hurt. And then you have to deal with that guilt yourself. But mental problems, uh, and, and I think sometimes the church, we're real good at saying, well, let's pray. Well, that's good. I pray. But maybe you need to get some help, too. So don't be afraid to get people some help and encourage them to get help. And that's just praying for them. You know, that, that's great, you know. But, but let's, get, let's get the right help that they need. And, uh, and if you have to have some drugs because your body's out of whack, nothing wrong with that. But, uh, but let's be wise how we deal with that in a spiritual realm and uh, not just blame the devil for everything and just say, God, help us to, to, to live for you. Yep. As long as they're legal drugs, right, Pastor Jim? <laughs> well, most of the just time. Just clarifying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> always go to Doug's office, right? Oh, no. Um, there is a really good book that I read uh, for my undergrad um, with some of the same classes you're taking. Uh, it's called Grace for the Afflicted. And uh, he's a Christian psychiatrist, and he actually walks through scripturally different accounts in the Bible of met people that have dealt with mental health problems. Um, and then he actually walks through, like, is this truly something that we can walk through spiritually and emotionally, or is this truly something that's chemical imbalanced? And um, he does an amazing job, and he actually breaks down chemical imbalances and the, and the actual medications that can take place. And so Grace for the Afflicted is a really good book um, if you're trying to walk down that realm and, and see that there is actually a balance, and it's not just someone yelling at you that you need to have more faith. Um, 
or you know, or you're demon possessed, as as Dean brought up. So I think that's a great resource. But um, we've kind of walked through kind of our section. So now 